Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to, to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, The King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them among them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, 
and they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came out and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Twenty years ago, uh, a movie came out, not a big deal, but I just can't believe it's been 20 years. Uh, I was in college, the movie at the time uh, felt amazing, um, like, like, the, like the Star Wars movie of my generation, that might be blasphemous among certain circles, but um, uh, The Matrix, 1999, um, I, I don't know if you remember that movie, uh, but, but it, was, it was really, really cool. Uh, I was a youth pastor, obviously, through the early 2000s till just, just a couple years ago. Somehow I've never shown this clip before as a youth pastor. And I, I, I was just going to show you an image uh, of the, the scene with the two pills, and then I watched the clip. And I'm like, God, this is like a softball. You're just throwing up right in front of us. we got to see this thing. So um, if you don't know the movie, uh, the, the main character, Neo, and you know it's a great movie because... Keanu Reeves is in it, and it still is good, right, somehow. Um, sorry, Keanu Reeves fans. So uh, Neo realizes that, that there's something not right about the world that he lives in, and, and he doesn't know what yet, uh, but he goes to meet with uh, this character, Morpheus, who is going to give him an option. So let's, let's watch this short clip here. You know, the, the parallels with Christianity are incredible in that short little clip. Um, do, do you want to know the truth? Right? Neo's face with that choice. And there are probably truths that we would rather not know. I've been told years ago, I don't want to know how hot dogs are made. And I've decided to believe that advice. So I have no clue what is actually in I'm Not no clue. I have ideas. Um, I certainly don't want to know everyone's unfiltered thoughts. Wouldn't that be terrible? If you could know what everyone was thinking, I don't know how many friends any of us would have. There are painful things in life that we probably choose to not know the whole truth about. But I hope that, that when it comes to eternal issues, we do want to know the truth. 
I hope that we want to know the truth about God. And we have no problem meditating on God's love, on his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. But to know those, we also need to understand the truth about harder things. What does it mean that God is just? We need to know the truth about sin, about his wrath. So like Neo in the Matrix, we do have a choice. We can decide to turn a blind eye, even though in doing that, we clearly know that there's something we're choosing not to understand, something we're choosing not to know. Um, with our kids growing up, um, there are certain, uh, I see some kids in the room, so I'll say this craftily, there are certain things that maybe uh, they get to believe in. And, and in our house, we've chosen to let them believe in, in some of those things. Um, but there always comes a moment when, when a kid, at least our kids have asked, like, hey, is that real? And we respond something like this. We say, you know what? Sometimes there are things as a kid that are really fun to believe in. Um, but if you want to know the truth about that, you can ask us. And then they have a decision they make. Um, they have a decision. Are they, are they going to ask right there and find out? Or are they going to keep believing for a bit longer? And eventually, obviously, they want to know the truth, right? It's not weird that my six-year-old doesn't know the truth about some of those things. But if I had like a 17-year-old that didn't know the truth, That'd be embarrassing for them and for me that they still believed along some of those lines. Well, we've been in the book of John for almost a year now, and today we come to the cross, and the cross demands a response. Do you want to know the truth or not? Will you deny that Jesus is Lord? Do you want him dead and out of your life, or will you see that the king has willingly laid down his life for yours? Now, that's not just a question for people that haven't decided to follow Jesus yet. Christians, do you still know that you needed Jesus to die for you? That it was absolutely necessary? Our truth statement today is this. Because Jesus fulfilled scripture as the Passover lamb who yielded himself to human judgment, in his death he completed everything we need for salvation and his exaltation as king. I'll read that one more time. Because Jesus fulfilled scripture as the Passover lamb who yielded himself to human judgment, in his death he completed everything we need for salvation and his exaltation as king. Last week we ended with, with Pilate saying, what is truth? And it didn't seem like he was all that interested in knowing what truth is. Pilate is um, he's an interesting figure in, in the story. Uh, he he clearly sees something in Jesus. At a minimum, he knows that Jesus is not guilty. He's questioned him, he's interrogated him, and he, he sees that Jesus has done nothing wrong. But in the end, Pilate is swayed by others. I think he, he, he makes his decision based on what he thinks is best for his life. I'm sure fear plays a role in his decision. For some of you, Turning to Jesus, there wasn't much risk, at least from outside pressure. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you grew up in a home that, that knew about Jesus, that loved Jesus. So for you to come to Christ, man, people were excited. The people in your corner were ready for you to trust in Jesus. Others of you, maybe trusting in Jesus wasn't just a risk because he was asking you to give all of yourself to him, 
but also because no one around you trusted Jesus. Maybe you feared what your friends, your family members, co-workers, what your peers would think if you believed in Jesus. So there's pressure for you to deny Jesus. I think Pilate wanted to free Jesus right off the bat in chapter 19 here. Certainly by verse 12, we know that he was seeking to release Jesus. But even off the top, I think he wanted him freed. It says that he had him flogged um, at the beginning of chapter 19. Luke 23 gives us insight into what Pilate had hoped for. Pilate says that Jesus had done nothing to deserve death, and he concludes, uh, he says, therefore, I will punish him and release him. So he flogged him and, and hoped that the people would accept that as punishment for Jesus because he knew that Jesus did not deserve death. We know that they put this crown of thorns on him, this, this mock king crown made up of these thorns that they twisted up to put on his head. They put on a purple robe, again, mocking that, that he was wearing like a, a kingly robe. They said, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck him in the face. And then Pilate marches him out. He declares that he finds no guilt in him. And John says this multiple times, that the human judge found no guilt at all in Jesus. Verse 5, he says, Behold the man. Or, or look at this poor man. Or in other words, this guy's a wreck. He's no threat at all to anyone. But the Jews won't have it. They shout, crucify, crucify. They've decided what they want to do with Jesus. They've totally rejected Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, I want you dead and buried so that I never have to think about you again. And this is the response of the world. The world wants nothing to do with Christ. Today, Jesus might seem like an outdated or antiquated thought to an unbelieving world. But the religious leaders in John, they're sick of the threat that Jesus is, the threat to their way of living, and they can't wait to get rid of him. They don't want to deal with him anymore. But you can't get rid of Jesus. You can ignore him, you can try and kill him, but he's not going anywhere. Perhaps you remember a time in your life when you wanted nothing to do with Jesus at all, and you hoped you could bury him and be done with him. But Jesus somehow kept popping back up into your life when you weren't even looking for him. Maybe it was a coworker or a friend or someone out of nowhere just started talking to you about Jesus. And maybe you tried to shut it down in hopes that Jesus would just go away. But Jesus continued to pursue your heart. And you didn't believe, but God orchestrated circumstances so that you would realize that Jesus was exactly what you needed even though you tried to run even though everything you'd done was to ignore Jesus. But God opened your eyes to see that Jesus truly is the king, that Jesus needed to be your king. If you don't know about Jesus, I wonder if it seems like Jesus keeps popping up in your life. Maybe you've ignored Jesus for a really long time, but this is Jesus pursuing you. It isn't bizarre coincidence. It's Jesus drawing himself to you. And my encouragement to you is to find out the truth about Jesus. Talk to someone you know that loves Jesus. Get a Bible. Start reading about Jesus. But the Jews, they were under the impression that they could just get rid of him. They shout, crucify, crucify. Verse 6, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And Pilate finds no guilt, and they don't care. They brought him to Pilate. 
for Pilate to be the judge of Jesus, and they don't accept his judgment. You can feel his frustration and his sarcasm as he says, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Why did you bring him to me if you won't accept my verdict? And we've all felt something similar to this before. You've got a friend, maybe your spouse, and they ask your opinion on something, you give it, and they run the other direction, right? Maybe they say, hey, we're, what food sounds good to you tonight for dinner? And you're like, I don't know. We haven't had Thai food in a while. And they respond, okay, good, let's get pizza. Why did you ask me? If you wanted pizza, Pilate's frustrated. Why did you ask me to judge this man? The Jewish people, they aren't going to accept his verdict. And the Jews in in the book of John, they, they represent the world. The world is not inclined to believe in Jesus. They want nothing to do with the truth. They will not listen to someone's take on Jesus. All they want is for Jesus to die so he can be out of their hair. They like what they have going on. They like their lives. They like the belief system that they have. They don't want King Jesus. They want dead Jesus. And you can feel Pilate's frustration with them. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he's made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And the religious leaders are right. Jesus did he, he, he said he was the Messiah. He said he was the Son of God. He claimed to be God. We, we get a really clear picture of that in multiple ways in next week's passage. But Pilate's afraid when he hears this. And he goes to Jesus to find out what they're talking about. And while being the Son of God probably meant something different to the Jews than it did to Pilate, Pilate's fearful. Perhaps he's thinking, Son of God, I just flogged this guy. What is he going to do to me? So Pilate goes back in verse 9. He says, where are you from? And Jesus just stands there in silence. He doesn't respond. Pilate's like, are you not going to speak to me? Don't you know that I'm the one that can set you free or put you to death? I have the authority to do that, which ironically, Jesus could say the same thing to him. Jesus responds, the only reason you have any authority over me at all is because God gave it to you. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. God is in control of this. And yet Pilate is still culpable. Even though the religious leaders are the ones who set up Jesus, even though God is sovereign over all of this, Pilate's accountable for what he chooses to do with Jesus. Pilate doesn't find any guilt in Jesus. He's openly shared that. He's trying to release Jesus. Verse 12 it says, from, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. No matter how limited his understanding, Pilate knew that Jesus didn't deserve death. He knew it wasn't right. But Pilate either stops trying to find out the truth or he lets circumstances and the pressure of others keep him from finding out the truth. Either way, he ends up being guilty of rejecting Jesus, just, just like all the religious leaders. Being close to belief does not save Pilate. Following Jesus is an all-in equation. No matter what you know, will you trust in Jesus with all that you are? He's offered all of himself to us and requires in return that we give him all of who we are. Picking up again in verse 12. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king 
opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. So the Jews played this really intelligently. They knew Caesar's reputation, that if someone was a perceived threat, Caesar could get testy and just get rid of that person. And it looks like they struck a chord with Pilate because he, he just does an about face here. Even though he wanted to free Jesus, he chose his life over Jesus's. So what would you choose if you were in his scenario? Following Jesus means losing your life. Matthew 16, 25 and 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It's bizarre that in a very real sense, the true judge Jesus allows himself to be judged by Pilate and the people. When ultimately, they'll face Jesus as their judge, the only one who can, who can declare them innocent by his own blood. And so too, Jesus today lets us decide or judge, will we trust that Jesus is in fact Lord, that he's our King, that he's the Savior that we desperately needed to save us from sin and the wrath that we deserved, or will we decide that we want him dead? Our decision means everything. Verse 14, now is the day of preparation of the Passover, is about the sixth hour. So this is the day when the lambs were slaughtered for the Passover. I don't, I don't know if you remember what the Passover is, but way back in Exodus, where, where the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt, God was going to set them free. He, he told them, slaughter a lamb. Every household needs to slaughter a lamb. You're going to eat that lamb. You're going to take the blood of that lamb. You're going to mark the doorposts. And then the angel is going to fly over. And, and, and the, the homes that have the doorpost marked with the blood of the spotless lamb are going to be safe. So, so John tells us the day of the preparation of the Passover, this is when Jesus is going to the cross, right? The day when the lambs were slaughtered for the Passover, this is the day that the true lamb, the true Passover lamb, Jesus, would be killed on the cross. And of course, this is how God orchestrated it. I see what he did there. Even though Pilate is doing what they want, he mocks them repeatedly by calling Jesus king. Again in 14, he says, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. We don't want the truth. We want an imposter. We choose the lie. We choose the knockoff rather than the real king. We choose sinful dysfunction rather than freedom and life forever. We like the darkness rather than the light. We all know what it's like to remain in darkness, to choose to remain in darkness. I'm confident that each one of us can think back to when we've made that choice. And Christians, we're still tempted today by darkness. Daily, we have to decide, will I choose King Jesus or will I choose the imposter that looks so good right now? The line from the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That line always gets me. 
the, the battle that we have, even when we've chosen Jesus, we still need to continue to choose Jesus daily. And even in that, we need Jesus' help for it. Jesus carries his cross, and we know from the other gospel accounts, he carried it as far as he could, and then they get, they get Simon of Cyrene to take the, the horizontal beam and carry it the rest of the way up to the place of the skull where they crucified Jesus. His hands and his feet were pierced. He had a criminal on his left and on his right. Pilate put a sign over his head that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. And in some ways, Pilate did a better job than the church does today, trying to let everyone know who Jesus is. Uh, this is our job, to let not only our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends and family members know, but people even across the world, people that have never heard about Jesus. I just read a story um, the other day about... Um, a man who was uh, in Africa, he, uh, he was trying to tell people about Jesus. He was trying to assess um, how Somalia was doing. This is back in the late 90s. And he ended up in a, uh, a refugee camp with, I think, uh, uh, 10,000 Somalis. And um, he, he'd heard that they, they were not receptive to Jesus, not receptive to the gospel. So he went in, and, and he didn't know what he was going to do. He just wanted to talk, just wanted to meet people, heard their stories, heard their plight, heard how, how brutal um, their life had been. And after several hours, he decided with this one guy that he just felt like he had a connection with, um, I'm going to bring up Jesus. So he said to him, do you know Jesus Christ? And, and the man uh, instantly, like he, he was processing things and, and he started to get really animated. He goes to a friend and, and they start talking. He doesn't know what they're saying, but just hears Jesus Christ this, Jesus Christ that. They're getting all excited and kind of amped up. Now, the guy didn't know that, that in their culture, this is pretty normal, but he's freaking out, thinking, what did I start? Like, am I going to have 10,000 of these Somali men kill me right now for bringing up Jesus? So not only they start talking to Jesus, each other they're going all over and he just hears Jesus Christ more hooting and hollering and the one guy originally that he was talking to comes back and he said I'm sorry Jesus Christ does not seem to be in this camp he'd never heard of Jesus before he told him try the next camp down he'd never heard the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus needs to be told all over this planet and Pilate Pilate told us what we need to do. We need to tell this world that, that Jesus is the king. Well, they didn't like, the Jews didn't like what he wrote. They said, why don't you say, this man said I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate pretty much said, get over yourselves. Then the soldiers were told, they divide his garments into four parts, but his tunic apparently was woven together, it was seamless. They liked it, and they didn't want to tear it into four parts. So instead of ripping it, they cast lots for it. And John tells us in verse 24, he says, uh, they said, let us not tear it, but cast lots uh, for it to see whose it shall be. And John says, this was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That's straight out of Psalm 22:18 that needed to be fulfilled. This was talking about Jesus. And the closer we get to the death of Jesus, John tells us, over and over again, this happened so that Scripture could be fulfilled. This happened so that Scripture could be fulfilled. In other words, God is doing exactly what he said he would do. Jesus is following the plan to a T, even 
as he is dying this excruciating death, he's being obedient to the Father. Then in, in verse 25, we find Mary and a few other women and John. And they're standing there next to the cross. We can assume they're absolutely devastated that Jesus, whom they loved, they treasured, they worshipped as Lord and as their king, was there dying. And they, they were willing to follow him anywhere, even to the cross. Verse 20, verses 26 and 27, Jesus sees his mother Mary. He looks to her and, and John standing right there, who was called the beloved disciple, the one who Jesus loved. He says to Mary, woman, behold your son. And he looks to John and says, behold your mother. In other words, mom, go with my friend. He's now your son. He's going to take care of you. John, take care of my mom. And what is wild here to me is that Jesus, in his most vulnerable state, his weakest time is taking care of those he loves, his disciples. And there's probably a, a ton of things that we could take away just from this little part of the passage. But I want you to see this, that if Jesus is taking care of those he loves at his weakest, most vulnerable moment, how much more confidence should we have that Jesus sees you right now? That Jesus knows what you need, that he will take care of you. If he could do that when he's in agony, when he's dying on the cross, we should be so confident that he's doing that now for us. And I understand that there are times in life that are really, really hard. Jesus is right there, even if he doesn't feel like it. He knows what you need better than you know what you need. And he's going to give you exactly what you need. Sometimes that provision is like daily bread, and I just mean moment by moment. It feels like you're just getting enough to carry on, and that's God helping you depend on him for every ounce of provision. Other times his provision is so abundant, it's laughable. And if you've been following Jesus long enough, you know what I'm talking about. You, you just look and say, God, you did not need to take care of me this way. Verse 28, Jesus said, I thirst, and they, they get this hyssop branch, they, they get a sponge, they get some wine, and, and, and they, uh, they get it up to Jesus. And this hyssop branch, or not this hyssop branch, but the hyssop branch, reminds us of the Passover. They took the blood from the lamb, and that's how they marked the doorpost, was with the hyssop branch. Verse 30 when, uh, says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And Jesus' cry here isn't a cry of defeat. He's not just announcing that he's about to die, though that's true. It is finished means it was complete. The whole prophetic picture had come to be perfectly completed by Jesus on the cross. He completed every step that had brought him to this painful death. He completed what was needed in order to save people from sin. He was the spotless sacrifice that was substituted in our place so that we could trust in his death and his resurrection to be forgiven of sin. He completed what was needed for his exaltation as king by dying. It says he gave up his spirit or he handed it over. No one took his life from him. Scripture tells us he laid it down on his own accord. Jesus had fully intended to drink this cup of suffering that the Father had assigned to him, just like he told Peter a chapter ago. The normal Roman practice was to leave the crucified on the cross until they died, which could take 
days. This is an excruciating death. And then even after they died, they would often leave the bodies up there to be picked up by the vultures. If there was a need to speed up their death, what they would do is they would come by and they would break their legs so that they couldn't push up anymore to breathe. They'd suffocate. Well, the Jews requested that they die before the Sabbath. And, and this is extra important before the, the Sabbath of the Passover. So they go to the criminals on each side of Jesus and break their legs. They, they were still alive, but when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. Probably from the beatings that he had already taken. To prove it, John tells us that, that a soldier came up and pierced his side. And, and out flows blood and water. And there are different ideas about what's the blood, what's the water about. The one thing we know for sure is it proves that Jesus is dead. There, there's no, there, there's a theory that maybe Jesus from such horrible pain passed out and wasn't really dead on the cross and they were wrong and then he was uh, able to come back to life. That's not what happened. Jesus had died. It says the, uh, the bones were not broken. This was to fulfill scripture. Again, John wants us to know. It comes from Exodus 12.46, Numbers 9.12, as well as Psalm 34.20. John wrote all these things as an eyewitness so that you would believe in the truth. Right, we have what we need in the Bible to decide or not if Jesus really is king. In a sense, we all get to sit and judge if this is true. Did Jesus really die for my sin? Did I need Jesus to die for my sin? But ultimately, Jesus is the judge. After this life, we meet Jesus. And you can meet him as your Savior, the one that says you're innocent by my blood, or you can meet him as your judge that declares you guilty. Well, after Jesus' death, they wanted to get him off the cross Two men, Joseph and, and Nicodemus, helped make this happen. And these were both men who were secretly disciples of Jesus. But now they were in full view, making their discipleship public. Nicodemus, you might remember from early in John, he came inquiring of Jesus at night. He had questions for Jesus, but he wasn't ready to ask them publicly. And then we get to chapter 7, and, and while still he's not publicly aligning himself with Jesus, Nicodemus points out a law that, that is in Jesus' favor. And maybe some wondered if he, if he believed in Jesus at that point. But now at this point, there's, there's no mistake. He's clearly self-identifying as a follower of Jesus. He's risking his place in, a, in the society. He's risking his place among the religious leaders. And this is the kind of story, I think, that John, as he writes this gospel, this, this belief story that he wants for everyone. It's the death of Jesus that drives these two to publicly proclaim their allegiance to Jesus. Verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And next week we'll talk about why John mentions the garden so much in these last few chapters. Verse 42, So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They, they needed a tomb that was nearby. But of course it was a tomb that was made just for Jesus, that no one else 
had used. And next week, we get to get into the resurrection. We get to talk about Jesus defeating death. But I want to end with, with the story of my friend. Um, I was in college. My friend was a, uh, a teller at a credit union when uh, some people came in to rob the credit union. They, they had guns. They yelled, get on the floor. My friend Brandy drops the floor at her station, and rightfully so, she's freaking out. Um, and, and for whatever reason, robbers, one of the robbers chose to come to her and, and, and tell her to get the money, and, and Brandy lost it. And she, she covered her ears, she closed her eyes, and, and she, she started yelling, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, la, 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 la. And, and I know that is funny, right? The circumstance isn't funny, but what my friend did, it, it's crazy, Brandy. Yelling, I can't hear you, la, 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 doesn't change reality. It, it doesn't change truth. She was captive and powerless to do anything to save herself. My friend Brandy is fine, um, the, the robbers got away. I don't remember if they ever caught him, actually, but Brandy's okay, in case you're wondering. But we, we can't ignore truth. We can't ignore eternity. Or, or you can. I guess you can try to ignore it, but it doesn't change it. We can waffle like Pilate and never fully come to grips with who Jesus is. Or will Jesus' death draw us near to him? like it did Nicodemus and Joseph. Will his taking your place on the cross convince you that there's only one king worthy of giving yourself to? What will you choose? Christians, will you daily choose to trust in Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the the truth that you did die for our sins, that there's no mistake in your death, and next week we get to talk about you defeating death in the resurrection. Lord, I, I pray for all of us, Lord. I pray for people in the room that are considering you or have known about you for a really, really long time but haven't yet chosen to really follow you. Maybe they're going through the motions. Lord, would you draw hearts near to you today? If there's anything in the way, any hindrance, any barriers, would you demolish those, Lord? For those who have chosen to follow you, Jesus, would the cross be just as important, as fresh, as relevant today as it was the day that we chose to follow you. Jesus, we need you. We desperately need you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord. Would we be a people that are eager to talk about the life that we have because we've been forgiven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.